Mary Jo, when you were a kid, did you ever watch Reading Rainbow? <laughs> Are you kidding? A host, LeVar Burton, was my jam. I remember watching Reading Rainbow when I was young and thinking that all the books actually came alive. Okay, so sure, I know now that books are inanimate objects, but the stories themselves are still as colorful as ever. Speaking of those books, they aren't totally inanimate anymore. The Reading Rainbow app, which was a product of one of Kickstarter's most successful fundraising campaigns ever, has brought a whole new virtual dimension to the idea of taking literacy online. We caught up with LeVar Burton, the man himself, to hear what his current plans are for the Reading Rainbow app and whether he likes reading on a screen or a printed page. We'll get to that interview later in the podcast, but first, let's hear what happened in the EdTech world this week. I'm Mary Jo Matta. And I'm Blake Montgomery. Welcome to the EdSurge podcast. Let's get started. What happens when you ask kids to redesign their schools? The Department of Education is about to find out through its Career Technical Education Makeover Challenge, a contest for high school students to redesign parts of their schools as maker spaces. In June, the department will award up to $200,000 to 10 schools to turn those plans into reality. The first round of submissions will be accepted until April 1st, and the second closes May 22nd. You heard it here, educators. Your students can make their school design dreams into a reality. <laughs> Conversations about the role of technology in learning are often polarizing. Author and lecturer Alfie Cohn's take? It depends, he writes. We can't answer the question, is tech useful in schools, until we've grappled with a deeper question, what kinds of learning should be taking place in those schools, he continues. The prolific author of 14 books on parenting and education explains why being, quote, committed to meaningful learning requires us to view testimonials for technology with a terabyte's worth of skepticism. By a vote of 49 to 40, the Senate has confirmed John B. King as the leader of the U.S. Department of Education. He is the first former principal to hold the post and succeeds Arnie Duncan, who stepped down this past December. President Obama has planned to forego confirmation hearings, but change course at the urging of Senator Lamar Alexander, chairman of the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, who promised King a prompt and fair hearing, notes USA Today. Alt School, the progressive micro-school startup that's captured headlines for its unique model and $100 million in venture backing, is taking the next big step, opening up to partner school designers. Are you ready to work with Alt School to create the next big little school model? We got a chance to sit down with founder Max Ventia to get all the details. Check edsurge.com for more. There were quite a few op-eds on EdSurge this week. First up, why do so many transformational, magical learning moments happen outside of the classroom? EdSurge columnist Alex Hernandez teamed up with Jeff Wetzler, co-founder of Transcend, to ask, how can we design our schools to intentionally promote those signature experiences for all students, not just the lucky ones? And if we didn't already have enough questions to answer, Two Sigma founder Jeff Kitterman wrote of his experiences observing schools that are so-called hotbeds for personalized learning. You have to look beneath the surface, he says, encouraging us to ask this big question. When schools claim to be on top, are all the teachers really being faithful to that personalized model, or is it just a few of them? And now it's time for 
Kitchings. San Francisco startup Volley Labs has raised $2.3 million to build a mobile app that uses machine learning to help curate content that's most relevant to what students are studying. Reach Capital led the round, Zuckerberg Education Ventures also joined. Over in New York, Credly, a digital credentialing platform, has earned a badge of its own. The company raised a $2.5 million seed round of funding from a diverse group of investors, including University Ventures and the Lumina Foundation. Credly CEO Jonathan Finkelstein calls digital credentials the, quote, currency of choice in a marketplace that values competency and skills. Congrats to all of those companies and everyone else who raised money this week. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow. Watch carefully and don't blink because there's magic in that paintbrush. Brian Tom is using it to wake up the spirit of that rainbow-colored lion. And soon, with the help of other artists, that lion will be ready to jump up and dance. Looks like I could be- Hear that clip? That is a reading rainbow original, and I'm smiling as I say all this. You can probably hear it out there, listeners. When the popular children's television show Grace TV sets across America in the 90s, back all the way into the 80s, host LeVar Burton took students through a world of literature and storytelling. And today, he's back at it with the Reading Rainbow app. Back in 2014, LeVar announced that he would be returning to the reading game. Since then, he claims that readers have enjoyed over 20 million books and videos about reading in the Reading Rainbow app. We spoke with LeVar to see what's next for the app, what he's reading now, and what he's learned about adults from reading so much children's literature. So I was wondering, why has, been, why has technology been a part of your mission statement for so long, and why did you decide to incorporate that at the very beginning of what you were doing? Well, Reading Rainbow, when we were a television series, began as an experiment to see if, if we could use this very engaging medium of television to address the summer fly, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what we found was that through innovative storytelling and really, really telling the story of, of the books that we featured and then matching the themes of those stories to real-world experience, that we could create real connections in kids to the power of storytelling as it relates to their lives. And so when this ring was taken off the air in 2009, it, 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 it seemed to me an opportunity to reinvent the brand and make it relevant for today's population of emerging readers. And how do you, I saw that um, you guys recently launched Skybrary School, and so how do you keep it fresh? How do you keep the Reading Rainbow app fresh and relevant? Well, in terms of keeping it fresh, we add new books and new videos every week to the library service. And so what's, what's next? What's next on the agenda of keeping it relevant? Well, that's a good question. Um, 
our plan as a company, our, our kids, is to continue to develop products and services for children that expand beyond the reading franchise. Do you have things in the wings, waiting in the wings? Um, we do. We are um, we are about to make a move into the gaming space. Wow. In a way, in a way that is 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 in keeping with our plan. We are mm-hmm. are partnering with um, a very popular word game hmm. with a, with a branded reading rainbow version for kids. Uh-huh. That we're no. very excited about. I'm ex- I'm you know I'm excited now. My brain is racing. Like, <laughs> what popular word games do I know about? Um, so I I wrote an article. Speaking of the gaming space, I wrote an article a, a while ago about the difficulties of get of the educational gaming space and like that industry in a lot of ways seems kind of cursed um, from the collapse of the learning company in the late '90s to a lot of the game makers that I talked to said that the app store is not all that different. It's really crowded, and they felt like it's really tough to push through games and apps that really encourage, like, deep learning yeah. as opposed to things, as opposed to companies that push play. out, yeah. yeah, push out, like, 50 apps and, like, maybe label them educational, and you can't really compete. I was wondering what your thoughts are on the App Store, if, although I guess you guys have kind of risen to the top of the app store over the course of your life, of your app's lifetime. But what are your thoughts on the app store and its educational difficulties? My, my, my thoughts are, are the, one of the reasons why we are so excited about entering the, the gaming space. That, and the, and the, the, the app, that, 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 that are apps for kids. Right, is that we bring an element of familiarity to parents who are the gatekeepers of the apps their kids download and use on a daily basis. And so we feel that the Reading Rainbow brand in and of itself helps us cut through the clutter and and give parents a level of comfort and security knowing that if, if it's got our name on it, then it's going to be enriching for their kids and, and, and entertaining as well. Fun. You mentioned, I mean, you mentioned that there's clutter. Do you see the app store also as being overcrowded and a little oversaturated? Well, you're asking me to comment on, uh, you know, the free market of, of the app space, uh, is it, it, it which is, is is like asking me if I think that the realm of media created for kids is overcrowded and cluttered. My response to that is that I believe all media is educational. <laughs> It all teaches our kids something. Right. The, I mean, question, the question is, what are we teaching our kids? Mm-hmm. And my point of view has always been, since Roots, which was my first job as an actor, mm-hmm. my first professional audition, 
roots really opened my eyes to the powerful nature of entertainment media. And I've made it my life goal to use that power in a way that makes sense to me, in a way that, that actually enriches the population. So to make to to make media, it sounds like that you're saying to make media that teaches positive lessons and lessons that are will add great substance to the lives of kids. That's my goal. That's the point. That's the essence of the Reading Rainbow brand. And do you yourself prefer reading on a screen or in a book? Yes, I do. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. See, I I don't care, really, if if we're reading on bound books or digital books. I just want folks to read, especially kids. So people ask me all the time, so for my my child, do you recommend bound books or digital books? I say yes. (laughs) And And it stops people in their tracks just as it did you. (laughs) Because it seems counterintuitive, but in essence, it's not. Not as far as I'm concerned. So I say all the time, if your kid loves superheroes, then buy your kid comic books. Because you you cannot take your child where you want him or her to go unless you meet them where they are. But how does that jive with what you said about you want media you want media to teach kids like very substantive things, things that add to their lives. But And and I'm, comic books don't? I love comic books. I read graphic right. novels all the time. Right. But right. I'm I'm having a little trouble kind of squaring the things that you said where you all wanna make is me, educational? Right. All media is educational and then you wanna make things with Go on. Uh, you want to make things with substantive lessons. I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, like, I don't think parents, like, want the worst things for their kids. No. But at the same time, how do we, is it possible to guide kids to the things with substantive lessons? Yes, it is. But not without meeting them where they are first. If you have, if you have a child who does not, look, the, the child who naturally gravitates towards reading and is a voracious reader, we don't need to worry about. What I worry about are the kids for whom reading is not the first choice of an activity. It's, it's, it's not even in the top five. It's not in the top ten. Okay. What are you What are you reading right now, speaking of reading? Um, one of the miracles of, of the modern age is that I'm able to carry a library around on my tablet computer, and I do. <laughs> and... Science fiction literature has always been the body of literature that I gravitate toward when I'm reading for pure pleasure and enjoyment. So I've always got science fiction um, that I'm actively reading. There's a, a compendium that comes out once a year called The Year's Best in Science Fiction, mm-hmm. Short Fiction. And it's edited uh, by a man named Gardner Dozois, D-O-Z-O-I-S, right? 
and it, and I'm a huge fan of short fiction of uh, in a variety of genres. I think it's a masterful exercise to tell a story a begin with a beginning, a middle, and end. You know, in thirty to forty pages. So the the year's best science fiction uh, is something that I'm always reading, and I think right now we're like on the thirty second <laughs> annual collection, and I, I've I've read every single one because I'm, I'm a, I, I love short fiction from O. Henry and and uh, Ring Lardner to oh I just I love short fiction. I just went to visit uh, O. Henry's house in Austin. Did you really? Wow. It's in it's in the middle of downtown Austin. Um, You're kidding. My kid is about to move to Austin. She will be so thrilled to know that she can visit O. Henry's house. Yeah, it's neat. It's a very they put it up as like a period house where that's how it's displayed. Um it's very cool. It's got a lot of old timey stuff. Like a small, small bath. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um so one question that a colleague asked me um, is what kind of a gen- is law uh, what's the word for it large scale general question what have you learned about adults from reading so much children's literature? Ooh. This is one of those rare occasions where I've actually been asked a question that I've never been asked before. I love that. Thank you. What have I learned about adults as a result of reading so much children's literature? Well, I've learned that, that there that there is a large population of very caring adults who make it their business to create literature, engaging literature for emerging readers. I've also learned that in um, in an industry where diversity is and continues to be an issue, that industry being the publishing industry, that children's literature, even though still lagging, is heads and tails ahead of literature published for other age groups. And I think that's because of the visionary nature of, of authors and illustrators who dedicate themselves to children's literature. What do you see what do you see as being fundamentally different about these authors and creators and illustrators who write for kids rather than authors who write for adults or even young adults? Aside from their focus, the audience that they speak to? Yeah, I imagine that there are different facets of their creativity that they activate to appeal to children, um, especially well, people I, I, who are... I don't... I'm not sure about that, hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, having, having written a children's book, the, the process is really the same. And and having written a you know post apocalyptic 
science fiction thriller. Uh, the, the process is not that dissimilar. You decide what it is you want to write about. You create compelling characters that the audience can identify with, and you tell your story. I think it's harder. Like, like, it's, like it's very difficult to write a short story, it's incredibly difficult to write a children's story. Because you are constrained by the form itself. Now you have the advantage in writing a children's book of having visuals to help you tell that story. But you have to choose your words very carefully. Children's literature or illustrated children's literature uses the paucity of to tell the story. You have to be incredibly economical. The editor is your friend. And you mentioned you mentioned diversity as being a, a greater facet of children's literature. Like it's doing, children's literature is kind of doing better on the whole. I think so. I believe that to be true, yeah. Right. And has, has diversity, like not only the amount of diversity and the representation within liter- children's literature, but also kind of the concept of diversity. Have those two things evolved? And in what like in what way have they evolved as you've been reading and promoting reading over these years? Well, the very, very uh, first episode of Reading Rainbows that we ever did was based on a book called Tight Time. Um, and... I think it was Barbara Shipkate. I believe that's who the author was. And Tight Times is a story about a young kid whose dad lost his job. And the story was about the adjustments that the family needed to make. And, the, and, and it was told, obviously, through the eyes of the child and, and, and his journey through this significant change that the entire family went through. Now, that was in 1983. And since then, we've gone through the greatest economic crisis, the Depression in this country. And that book was there as a resource, and it was one that I pointed to from 2008 to 2011 as a valuable resource for fans because so many of us were having that very same experience. So you think, it seems to me you think that resources that were helpful even when you began are also still relevant today. That's the beauty of children's literature. A terrific children's book that was written 20 years ago is still a terrific children's book. Would you point our listeners to any any children's books today? Especially since our listeners are really interested in technology and education technology, what books would help students and emerging readers kind of navigate their digital world these days? In, 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 
response to that question, I would point your readers to the Reading Rainbow digital service, <laughs> the Skyberry service, because we are a digital library. And when we enhance those books digitally, we have bells and whistles, but they are always in concert with the narrative. We are very conscious of how we enhance the storytelling through what are called affordances, those bells and whistles, pushing something on the screen to make something happen. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the way we address digital literature to kids because it's done with consciousness and forethought and always in the service of the story. Always. Always. And is there anything different about kids reading today than in the past? No. It is a delivery device of literature. <laughs> They've got another option. And what are you what have you been up to for National Reading Month? I learned that I learned recently that March is the month of reading in America. March is the month of reading in America. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my activities, you know, are we we we, we launched Cyberry School in the month of March, mm-hmm. in to be in concert with this sort of national awareness that exists specifically in our school populations around the country, and taking advantage of the fact that that Reading Rainbow has always been very popular in the educational community. Teachers love Reading Rainbow. They love the television series. They continue to show our what we call classic Reading Rainbow episodes in classrooms, and they have embraced the Reading Rainbow Skyberry service as well. In fact, the reason, the reason we created Skyberry School is because we got a lot of feedback from teachers who were using the consumer version in their classrooms. And they were sort of rigging the system and loading five and six and seven readers onto a single profile, right? Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, well that's, we can do better than that. <laughs> Let's create a product specifically for teachers where they can roster 35 kids, where we give them, you know, 40 lesson plans. In a, in a turnkey solution with with handouts that can be printed out and a dashboard for teachers, where we can really give them a robust tool that they can digital tool that they can use with books that are aligned with Common Core, with videos that support the themes in those books. That's that's what we do. And speaking of like multimedia, adding to adding to reading. I mean, a lot of people, I think, especially today, kind of decry, like, digital saturation. We are, technology is everywhere, and it's ubiquitous. But it seems to me, like, since you've been doing a television show for so long, you're a big proponent of integrating digital technology with reading. So how do you feel and how do you respond when people say, like, digital saturation is really changing the way we think for the worse? Uh, I, I I remember when the conversation was 
television is signaling the death knell of, of the brains of our kids. Yeah. And, you know, and Reading Rainbow was a beacon in the darkness. And continues to be. Again, the landscape in the free market economy is going to be what it is. There are going to be a lot of people who come to this market who simply want to make money. Reading Rainbow has always been a brand that has demonstrated over time that what we are interested in making is a difference. I'm going to drop the mic on that. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. That was, yeah, it was a powerful moment right there. And one follow-up question that just kind of bringing back to what you said at the beginning, why, why did Reading Rainbow choose to go into the gaming space specifically? Yeah, it's an, it's an opportunity of access. This is a culture that loves to play video games, digital games, app games. And and if we can create an enrichment product that takes advantage of the, the gaming space and involves the game, we have you know gaming mechanics in the Reading Rainbow app. We've got a a, a matching game at the back of every book that takes original art from the story itself and breaks it up and and plays a matching game. One again. Like I said, you've got to meet kids where they are and let them take them where you want to go. Right? I'm, 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 I'm not above using the, the prevailing methodology for connection mm-hmm. to deliver my message. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's what I've been doing my entire career. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's in a book, a reading rainbow. I can go anywhere. Friends to know and ways to grow. A reading rainbow. Man, that reading rainbow app is so cool, but I really want PBS to do a reboot of the show for adults. I wonder what that would look like. LeVar Burton takes on books like Game of Thrones and Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay, that sounds really awkward. That would be a different sort of show. Now, listeners, before we let you go, we've got a special opportunity for many of you out there. If you're a K-12 educator or district official, anything from a teacher to a principal to a superintendent, we invite you to join in on the official Ed Surge 50 States Project. 50 Shades of Ed Surge. There you go. Sponsored in part by the Gates Foundation, the 50 States Project is a year-long effort to publish articles from educators in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. We want to really see what educators think of education technology and how they're using it in the classroom and beyond. We're about five months in and plan to publish all of the accounts by August, just in time for the 2016-17 school year. But here's the thing. We've got a lot of states that have yet to be claimed. 
Colorado, Illinois, Minnesota. Mississippi, Oregon, Arizona. And the list goes on. So if you're interested in applying to be your state's representative, you can find all the information at bit.ly slash edsearch50. That's bit.ly slash edsearch50 spelled out. No numbers, all letters. Apply today. You can also email me at blake at edsearch.com. And now it's time for Friday happy hour. Do you think LeVar Burton will come with us? Only if you promise to read him a bedtime story afterwards, Blake. I would be honored. This is the Ed Surge Podcast. Thank you.